Welcome to HBCU 468, brought to you by ESPN's The Undefeated. This weekly podcast looks at life inside and outside of sports from the unique perspective of the Roden Fellows, handpicked students from six historically black colleges and universities. They're young, they're smart, and they are living one of the most unique experiences in American higher education. I'm Bill Roden, and here are this week's Roden Fellows. I'm Kyla Wright from Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia. I'm Paul Holston from Howard University in Washington, D.C. I'm Mania Shabazz from Grambling State University in Grambling, Louisiana. Hello, everybody. Hello, fellows. Hope everybody's doing well and wrapping up the school year in good style. Um, you know, we're recording uh, our show in the midst of the NBA Finals, uh, the, the heavily uh, anticipated NBA Finals. Now, by the time this airs, we're going to be knee-deep in the NBA playoffs. Um, predictions, please. I like Right now, I'd like the fellows to tell me who you think, who you think will come out on top. Cavaliers and six. Warriors Nation. Warriors. Warriors Nation. Warriors. I mean, did, did you see that game, Paul? That game said game it Game one. But look, we start, I mean... Cavaliers started off the same way last year, and look what happened. We don't want to go back from a come back from a three-one lead again. That's true. So, so let's take it one by because that was all confusing. I want to make sure everybody attaches a name and a voice to these predictions. Uh, Kyla, who's going to win? Kyla Wright, Warriors Nation. <laughs> Paul, Paul Holston, and you know. Howard always says the correct predictions as opposed to Hampton or any other HBCU. But, you know, it's going to be Cavalier. I mean, Cavaliers, that's like I said, Cleveland Cavaliers, LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, the whole starting team, even the bench. Hopefully the bench will pick up by next week. But we're going to get there. It's going to be back-to-back. Mania? I'm Warriors all the way, and if you didn't see that first game, it's just a testament to how how they will win. Well, right I think now. if the Cavs think they they are going to win, they need to look at their bench. They need to be way more involved than they are now. I mean, if you saw, you know, even who was scoring the points for the Cavs, five people, you know, didn't contribute to the overall score, and only one person didn't for the Warriors. I just think that says a lot in itself. Well, don't let don't let a game one. Don't let a game one boost your ego too hard. Again, just like last year, Golden State won game one, and I'll give it to you. I'll give it to them. Hopefully it won't go the same way this year did last year, but I'm still confident that LeBron and Cavaliers will pull it off. Well, you know, that we'll, we'll see. We'll see what, what, what happens. We've got, uh, you know, um, a little ways to go. But but listen, what i like to ask uh, of the fellows is uh, – the, the, in some ways, the news of the day kind of has hijacked the uh, the finals. Um, just before the finals started, uh, LeBron James held a, a really riveting uh, news conference because his his second home, his mansion in Los Angeles, has been uh, vandalized. Uh, somebody or some people had spray painted the N word on his gate. Now. You know, he had a staff there that kind of cleaned it all off. Uh, but, you know, LeBron, you know, he responded by bringing up Emmett Till's mother who chose to have an open casket funeral for her 14-year-old son, who had, a 14-year-old son who had been beaten to death in Mississippi for allegedly, you know, wasn't the white woman. Uh, but he also said, uh, no matter how much money you have, no matter how famous you are, no matter how many people 
admire you. Being black in America is tough. And he said, uh, we've got a long way to go for us as a society and for us as African-Americans until we feel equal in, in America. Uh, Kyle, what, what, do you, what do you think? I mean, he, that's a lot. But, but what do you think? What, what's as you have a chance to digest this as a, you know, um, young, gifted and black person at Hampton University? What, what do you think about what LeBron said? I think and I know that LeBron is absolutely right for once, <laughs> but I, I truly agree with him because, first of all, it, it literally does not matter how much money you have, what your status is. People criticize Oprah Winfrey for everything she's accomplished and everything she has came and earned for in her life people still criticize her people criticize barack obama and he was the president of the united states i myself get criticized as an african-american woman in 2017 it literally doesn't matter how much you make who you are what you are what your name means if you are african-american if you have a ounce of melanin in your skin you will definitely not be equal in america and you will be criticized hmm. What do you think, Paul? I mean, is it, is it, would you rather be, I mean, is it easier to be uh, uh, discriminated against and rich and black? Or do you think that uh, racism sort of is, is, a, is a great equalizer? Uh, yeah, racism is an equalizer, no question. I mean, economic status does not matter, especially in this case. It doesn't matter, like LeBron said, how much money you have, how many cars you drive. You're still, you know, it's, you got to think about the intent of the perpetrator especially in this case, um, you could have written any other word, but instead they wrote the N-word. So what does that say? It doesn't matter what status you are in America. As as long as you're black, you're still, you know, you have a target on your back. And I really appreciated the fact that he did bring the historical aspect of Emmett Till and the story of, of Emmett Till, you know, because for many, for some people in this generation or some kids in this generation don't even know the name of Emmett Till. So now that will spark the conversation for them to even look up who Emma Till was, to which his death galvanized the civil rights movement. So I really appreciated him, you know, re, uh, responding in a mature manner, but also giving historical context to continue the conversation. So, so you don't think that that uh, the Mania, you don't think that the reference to Emma Till was um, uh, out of place? Or do you think, yeah, what, what, what do you think? Absolutely not. I don't think it was out of place. I think that any time that we can mention our people and our struggle and what's happened to us is a great thing, especially since a lot of our, a lot of our race as African-Americans, you know, they don't know all of our history. You know, a lot of people just know Malcolm X or even Martin Luther King is a great example or Harriet Tubman, you know. There are others that we need to recognize, Ida B. Wells, Paul Robinson, that we just need to talk about. And I believe that the more we mention it, the more uh, the younger generations can understand what we went through. So so do you think that uh, each of you, I mean, let's, let's you know, you're, you're in, in the ages between 19, 20, 20, you know, 25, something like that. Do you feel that being uh, you guys each going to great schools, you know, we're at Hampton and Howard and, and, and Grambling, uh, some people look at your your lives and say, "Well, you guys kind of have it made." First of all, let me ask you: Do you do you feel equal that you're equal? And again, is it tough? Is, is being black tough? This is Kyla from Hampton. I definitely don't feel equal. It is tough being African American, though. I go to a historically black university. 
that's only in the parameters of that university. When I step off of that campus, there are people who I encounter who don't look like me, who don't act like me, who don't talk like me when I come home. It's the same. So I'm constantly reminded that I'm not equal. You can go on social media and people will still say racist things. And I think that just because of in our society today, there are people who are different figures, prominent figures who are not African-American, who are deeming it okay for people to be racist. And that's why I think in 2017, people who are the majority are becoming bolder and they really think that they can do and say whatever they want to to us and we're just going to let it slide because they really think that they just have that type of power over us like their ancestors did. Well, let me let me ask you this, and that, that that's a great point, uh, Mania, it sort of leads to this question, because what you're kind of saying is uh, there's strength in numbers. And uh, th- this this is this year, uh, June 1967, is the 50th anniversary of something called the Cleveland Summit. It's when uh, Jim Brown, who at the time was one of the greatest football players um, ever, 1967, uh, he summoned some of the greatest black athletes in the country to Cleveland. And he wanted them to meet with Muhammad Ali, who had already filed as being a conscientious objector. Uh, he was heavyweight champion of the world, probably one of the most visible black people in the country. And he said he wasn't going to fight in the war and he wasn't going to get drafted. And, of course, it created a huge furor. And Jim Brown uh, invited all these black athletes to Cleveland to meet with Ali. And after they met with him, they came out and held a press conference and said, we're going to support him. We support his decision. We support Ali. And they rallied around him. Let me speed up 2017 do you do you guys think that there is a current athlete who can galvanize that type of of meeting what what, what do you think uh, it, it, you know, this is paul yeah. from howard i feel i feel that um you know you think about the the image and the status of muhammad ali at that time you know here's a guy who you know spoke for himself was unapologetically black emphasized unapologetically black and as well as, you know, always seeking to better the the low, impoverished income, people from the ghetto type of people. And when I look at, I'm trying to think of a current athlete that could galvanize. Now, this is the, you know, the silver lining. I feel that maybe Colin Kaepernick, possibly, um, he could galvanize. But you have to think of the context of where he where he's at now as opposed to Muhammad Ali. Um, I feel that if Colin Kaepernick was that type of athlete to be able to galvanize, he would have to probably put in more work as opposed to Muhammad Ali. Because, again, you know, they're in two different spaces, two different time frames as well. Um, but even not only if not Colin Kaepernick, I feel maybe even someone that's not as or, or still outspoken, but not as unapologetic. And maybe even LeBron James could, if LeBron James or any of the any of the uh, high powered or high athletes that are in these high statuses would sort of come out unapologetically black, then maybe that might, you know, really galvanize others to really, you know, be unapologetic and really, really push to what they were trying to do during that Cleveland summit. I think the bigger question comes what they what would they talk about in 2017? Yeah, well, that, that is a good question. Me, me, me and Kyle, hey, do you think that they're. Um, uh, is an athlete out there? And I guess the other question is, is there a common issue, do you think, that uh, that 
that pulls together, or is there a common thread that could unite black athletes, black people for that matter, but for the purpose of this conversation? What do you guys think? This is Kyla from Hampton. I definitely agree with Paul. I would say Kaepernick as well, just because of his recent comments. So we know that he is, like Paul said, unapologetically black. So he isn't afraid to speak up and speak out. Um, He still has some work. He still has a little ways to go to get on the level of Malcolm X or Muhammad Ali. But um, as far as the common issue... I'm going to keep this short and sweet. I mean, among black athletes, the common issue is just the fact that they're black. Because if they weren't, there wouldn't be an issue. There would literally not be a problem at all. So that's definitely the issue that they're facing. It's an issue they can't run from. It's something that they were born with. It's something they're going to die with. So Now, this might be a little outlandish, but I'm not sure if you guys are familiar what happened to Adam Jones, um, the Baltimore Orioles all-star. When he was... Um, playing a, a baseball game he was taunted by fans and he they even threw a bag of peanuts at him and, and called him racial slurs I believe that him and LeBron James should definitely come together since their issues were very prevalent in the media and I'm not downplaying other issues that black athletes face but in terms of popularity and for people to know you know, people already know that this happened. And for them to come together, I think that that would just say a lot for the black community. And I think that a lot of people will follow them knowing the two issues that they have faced. But let me ask you guys this. I mean, one of the things that LeBron said is it doesn't matter how much money you have. And I'm just wondering, is it is it possible uh, to be black and to not be impacted by racism? I mean, can you can you be so rich and famous that race really doesn't matter? In your mind, you can, definitely, because I remember a little while back in an interview, the rapper Lil Wayne, he was asked about Black Lives Matter, and he basically said, well, I know my life matters because I make millions of dollars, so it doesn't really matter if you care about my life or not, because I make more money than half of the people who say that Black Lives don't matter, this, that, and the third, and... Just in saying that, because of how much money you make or because of your status, at the end of the day, you're still black. So if you walk by someone on the street, they're still probably going to grab their purses closer than they're still going to lock their doors because you're black. You have tattoos everywhere. You have long dreads. You still look, quote unquote, scary to them because you're a black man in America. So he thinks in his mind that his wealth doesn't make him the same as us as far as being impacted by racism, but at the end of the day, it does. Yeah, I mean, even the the bigger example, the most recent example, uh, our former President Barack Obama, the man that was the leader, probably the biggest leader of the world, the free world at least. I mean, the man was constantly under threats every day, constantly under death threats, not only him, but towards his family. And I think, you know, when you ask that question, is it possible to be black and not be impacted by racism? Like, like I agree mentally, probably someone can deny that they can't be impacted by it. So they could always, you know, tell people, oh, I've never experienced racism. But in the reality, you know, look at his historic aspect. You look what's happening in 2017. I mean, things such as this is it's it's not going to go away. And the sooner that we sort of get to that reality and that 
real image of it being impacted. It doesn't matter what economic status you are. I mean, even just look at what happened with LeBron. And like I said, like I reiterated earlier in the segment, they could have put any other type of word on his gate, but they put the N-word. Why is that? Because there was an intent of the perpetrator. They wanted to get their point across, which was their racial or racist views. So let me ask you this as we close out this uh, segment, because we're going to continue to talk about athletes and image and all that stuff. But what's the solution? I mean, we could sit here for another half hour and talk about, um, you know, the climate and things are getting worse. But from where each of you sit on your campuses at Howard, at Grambling, at uh, Hampton, what, uh, and again, we, we'll have to keep this short, but, but what is the beginning of a solution? We said, I know the problem. You know, racism is, is a problem, but what's the solution? Uh, Paul, you, you, uh, I'll give you a first crack at this, but just, just briefly, because we got to go, but I'm just curious, what, what's the beginning of a solution? So that's, that's probably like the biggest question of the century. And I think that's a question that we, each generation continues to ask. I think, you know, the short term answer right now is to keep the conversation going, but you got to sort of engage it longer you know take it to other places that are not necessarily talked about you know luckily for us at hbcus we talk about this when we we talk about these conversations every day which is great because it allows us to engage and be serious in how we can become change agents but i think we need to take these conversations to communities and areas that are not necessarily being these conversations are not being talked about because these people now you have people in these communities that are sort of ignorant to either ignorant to what you know the topic is about when we talk about racism or they just don't know so for me if you take it to the communities take it to the um, areas that are that it's not being necessarily conversed about i think that will sort of sort of pick up the numbers and roll the snowball sort of sense i have four words that i want to say power is in numbers i think that if we stay true to that, I, I believe that we can come out on top just just in terms of if you look back, you know, the bus boycott, our our race wasn't riding the buses. And that's why, you know, there was a change because we weren't giving, you know, the bus companies money. And that's why there was a change. I just believe that we have to come together again as a race and stand up for what we believe in. If there are issues that, you know, we feel strongly about, it will only happen if we have people behind us. That That's the only way. I agree with both Mania and Paul, but at the same time, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but at the end of the day, if, like Mania said, there are power in numbers, but if we all come together as African-Americans, there still isn't enough of us than it is to them. We will always be the minority. So really the question is, what can we do? And that's what it'll keep being. What can we do? What can we do? And we keep saying, you know, eventually we'll overcome. But at the end of the day, generations keep being raised who had these ancestors who were our slave masters and that horrible mindset is still getting passed down so though we want to do something really who are who else are we going to go to the NAACP is slowly crumbling unfortunately so we do we really have them behind us not sure we can't go to the government because the government is the main ones who are against us to be completely honest so really 
just talking amongst ourselves is I'm not going to say the only thing we can do, but I feel like everything we try to do or we try to make an impact somewhere is is just going to get there for that short period of time. But I don't know. It just keeps seem, seeming like history is going to continue to repeat itself, unfortunately. Right. Well, you know, interesting. You look around the news and you'll and you've seen, I'm sure, at each of your universities, although all your universities are historically black. Not everybody agrees with uh, probably even any of these points. So um, getting a consensus is, is difficult. But um, I, I think that you've talked about perseverance and unity. So, um, you know, from, from my, from my, um, from my uh, seat, I, I see uh, each of you bring up good points. But I think, per, you know, perseverance, uh, we shall overcome. Remember the spirit said, we shall overcome someday <laughs> you know not 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 tomorrow but it's it's a it's it's not today but it's it's someday so i think you guys got to hang in it's your generation to hang in there but now we got to hang out because we've been talking for a long time Welcome back, everyone. And if you're just now joining us, you're listening to HBCU 468. I'm Bill Roden, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Kyla, Mania, and Paul. Uh, LeBron, LeBron James wasn't the only one who had a tough day at the office uh, last week. Tiger Woods, you know Tiger Woods, was found asleep at the will in Jupiter, Florida. Uh, police in Jupiter booked him on DUI charges, although no alcohol was found in the system. Woods talked up the incident to an unexpected reaction to prescription medicine. Uh, by the time the results of the breathalyzer test had returned, Tiger's reputation was tarnished more. Latoya Cunningham, CEO of Posh PR and Events, and the PR director of the Detroit Lions Alumni Association, is here to help us sort through this rubble. <laughs> but first, I, I just want to hear from each of the fellows. Did this uh, this event with Tiger down in Jupiter, did it make you think, Less of Tiger Woods. Hey, this is Paul from Howard. Um, you know, surprisingly, I didn't even think about uh, Tiger Woods up until uh, his mugshot sort of popped up on social media and then the news. And it sort of it didn't make me feel less, you know, on him. I mean, he is the great one of the greatest, if not the greatest uh, golf player in the world. But it's sort of for me, it sort of gave the insight on how powerful these prescription drugs are, you know, especially if he didn't know about the impact while going under the wheel. And hopefully, I mean, I'm sure he'll sort of bounce back from it, of course, but I guess what's unfortunate is when him coming back into the spotlight is that mugshot. And then they recently just released the video of his arrest as well. So it's going to, I'm sure it's going to leave some type of stain in terms of his image. This is Mania from Grambling. You asked the question, do I think less of Tiger Woods? I don't think less of Tiger Woods. I feel sorry for Tiger Woods. After seeing the various photos of him throughout the years and seeing that last mugshot, it was that last mugshot. It was just shocking just from his face to, you know, you could tell that there's something really wrong with him, something going on with him. And, you know, even after the whole incident with the um, domestic violence with his um, wife, his ex-wife, I just, after this, 
it kind of sounds a little sad, but I'm not so much as surprised more as uh, it's just another thing that's hurting his image. You know, everyone knows that you're not supposed to drive with strong prescription drugs. The doctor tells you everyone knows that. So I don't think that that's an excuse. However, you know, I do think that there's something seriously going on with Tiger Woods mm-hmm. that he really needs uh, to address. Hey, hey uh, let, let me bring Latoya into this because this is your business. Um, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, uh, uh, Paul and Mania raised the question about could he come back from this? You've had a lot of experience here. Well, what do you think? What do you think about was this whole situation? And just from a professional standpoint, um, you know, do you think that he could come back from this? It's definitely unfortunate. You know, obviously athletes and celebrities live in a different light than uh, a quote-unquote normal regular people. Um, so, you know, people get pulled over all the time for DUIs or things of that nature. So it's unfortunate that now his mugshot is plastered all over social media and the news. But I definitely think he can come back. If Even if he started working at some type of doing some community service at a recovery center or speaking out on prescription drugs and the effects of it, um, just kind of, you know, making people aware of, you know, not driving while under the influence and things of that nature, you can kind of spin that however his team wishes to spin it. But I definitely think he can come back from it. Hey, LaToya, this is Paul from Howard. So in what you said, so you do you believe in him using um, his – experience to sort of bounce back to helping others who are going through the same thing. Do you think that's the formula, um, you know, in facing this PR nightmare, you could sort of say? Yeah, I absolutely do. I think there really is no other way. You know, I think he's got to be kind of upfront and personal, be a little transparent um, with, you know, with the current, with, with what happened. You can't be silent with something like this, especially when, you know, they've released the video and the, the mug shots and, you know, just the last couple of things that he's been going through. So you can't just sit back and kind of let it sleep under the rug because the the public is kind of brutal and they're not going to forget. Is, is there a formula, LaToya? Uh, and maybe you could tell us without mentioning names, of course. Uh, I mean, what what was some of the one of the more difficult or worst PR nightmares uh, that you may have had to uh, uh, clean up successfully? Well, I would say dealing with, um, you know, the NFL and former players, you know, injuries obviously come into play. And sometimes you have um, injuries that, you know, we cannot be released through the media. So we kind of have to shift and turn and kind of um, craft new messaging for certain things when the, maybe if a player or a former player cannot make an appearance and things like that, if it's due to an injury, we, you know, we would have to craft some type of different content, you know, to, to get out to the media because a lot of times, you know, those things, obviously you don't want other teams to find out and things of that nature. So um, that's pretty much a lot of times, especially when the football season happens, um, kind of keeping things under wraps before um, the media gets a hold to it. Is, is there a formula? I mean, again, I wanted to ask you that too. Um, I think Paul may have mentioned or Mania. Um, is there a formula to this kind of stuff? Uh, I guess if you put on your PR hat, is there when you've had clients? Is there a formula when you? I guess you what you get the call at midnight or one, you know, or two. Is is there sort of a formula for paving the way back? Well, you definitely want to have a crisis communication plan already in place for whatever client that you have, be it athlete, um, athletes celebrities or just a small business entrepreneur, 
Um, when you take on a client, you need to have a crisis communication plan in place. So who are you going to be calling at, at what time, attorneys, um, drafting up statements, with media, you're going to contact all that plays a role in just being proactive instead of reactive. You don't ever want to be reactive when certain situations like the Tiger Woods situation comes comes about. I guess you wear two hats, right? You you wear one hat uh, as a CEO of your own company, and uh, what, what what what? How does that differ from what you do to the Detroit Lions? And I guess you could take some of the the uh, listeners behind the scenes and sort of what you know, what, what you do with the Lions and how it differs from what you do with your, you know, with your private, uh, your other clients? Well, I've been blessed to be able to work with a lot of the former players. So a lot of times we're not necessarily getting a lot of late-night calls unless we're planning events and things of that nature. But, yeah, it's definitely two different hats in, in you know, branding and, and marketing um, athletes and former athletes. And in, in, by comparison to, you know, regular clients that I may have, entrepreneurs and small businesses, it's definitely two different hats. So I'm just curious, you know, let's say I come to you, I, I just got drafted, uh, you know, by a protein, and, you know, I want to put myself on the map. I want to, you know, what, what's, what, what's, and I, I call you, and what, what do you, what's that interview like? What are you, what are you asking me, and, and uh, yeah, what are you telling me? What are you going to offer? You kind of want to know, like, what are their goals? Because, honestly, um, to be completely honest, football obviously does not last forever. So what are your goals um, that you want to, to to accomplish after football? How do you want to have your footprint um, left in the community? What legacy do you want to leave outside of football? And then we can kind of start you know, branding that, you know, what are you, what are you, what are you interested in? What, you know, what type of things do you want to see happen in your community in the city where you're drafted and things of like that, that nature. Like I'll just say, for instance, like with Von Miller, you know, he's got the Von's vision out in Denver where, you know, he's giving um, area youth eye, eye exams and eyeglasses. So that's his, you know, cause he's got some, you know, vision problems. So that's his platform. So you have to find what your client's platform is, what they believe in, and it's bigger than football, or bigger than sports, period. Latoya, thank you so much. Our guest has been Latoya Cunningham. She's the CEO of Posh PR and Events, and she's also the PR director of the Detroit Lions Alumni Association. Latoya, thanks so much. This has really been great and enlightening. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, before we close out the show, I turn it over to the fellows to leave you with a few thoughts to consider. Kyla leads off. High school popularity contests are overrated, but at Anthony Aguide Junior High School in Houston, the awards have been downright sinister. Seventh grader Lizeth Villanueva, a student of Arab descent, was voted most likely to be a terrorist by her teachers. Think that's crazy? Well, it didn't stop there. Sydney Caesar, an African-American student at the same school, was voted most likely to blend in with white people. Who is running this place? These teachers have gone too far. Something that seems so small may play a big part in these children's lives. I personally remember being their age and having my hair and my skin talked about, and I still remember those hurtful comments to this day. Consider this. These awards have been taken to a level that should have never been allowed. These young ladies' lives should not be taken as a joke. Here's a message to the teachers at Anthony Aguide Junior High. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Thank, thank you, Kyla. Paul. You may not have heard about the deadliest racial massacre in U.S. history. 
This past week marked the 96th anniversary of the 1921 Tulsa race riot in the Greenwood Black community of Tulsa, Oklahoma. According to the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture, Black Tulsans had formed their own community along Greenwood and Archer Streets that became known as Black Wall Street. The imprisonment of Dick Rowland, a black man falsely accused of assaulting a white woman, sparked the Tulsa race riot. From May 31st to June 1st of 1921, white mobs ransacked, raised, and burned over a thousand black properties and murdered almost 300 African Americans in Tulsa. This may not be in today's elementary history books, but it's important to understand that racism is an ancestral stain of America. At a time where even this past week, a noose was left in the African American History Museum, as well as NBA superstar LeBron James' front gate spray-painted with a racial slur, consider this America. You have the opportunity to learn and remember your history, live in the present, and change the future. Thanks, Paul Mania. The movie Concussion opened my eyes to the detrimental effects of constant collision on NFL players. As we anticipate the start of the new football season, there is some good news that may significantly change the safety of football. Vices, the Seattle startup, is introducing the Zero-One helmet to prevent head trauma and concussions, which are widely related to the sport. The soft outer shell contains numerous layers that work together to reduce the harsh impact of collisions. Out of 33 helmets tested, this one prevailed and has already been purchased by 25 teams. This is great news. We're taking a step in the right direction to ensure that even when a player's career is finished, they have a better chance at having a life after football. The reality is that too many concussions go unreported because players are afraid of losing their place on the team. Consider this. The NFL's next battle should be making it safe for players to come forward. Thank you so much, Mania. And that's it for our show today. If you'd like to cover something or have comments, email us at rodenfellows at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to HBCU 468. This show is produced by Aaron Mathewson. Tony Chow and Jorge Estrada are in the control room. Special thanks to David Cummings. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts as well as All Day, What Are Those, and Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast, and don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone.